We are preaching through the book of Luke. We have made our way to Luke chapter 11, and I know you may wonder if we are ever going to get past Luke chapter 11. There is a plan. We, we, we will. We're working our way through this. We have made our way all the way to verse 4 of Luke chapter 11. And I thought for sure last week, I thought, okay, I, I, I've spoken about forgiveness, three weeks, I've spoken about forgiveness. Surely that's enough. You know, Steve had not got done editing the video, and there were people with questions. So here we are, week four on forgiveness. Hopefully this will actually get the job done. I'm going to, not, by the way, that we don't talk more about forgiveness later. There are other verses in Luke as we continue our way through the book. We will get to other passages that also speak about forgiveness. So um, we're, we're not completely done. We will get back to it. But I want to talk about, there are hard cases. There are difficult times to forgive. There are difficulty, difficult times when we, when we say, I, I, are you sure I have to forgive this person? Are you sure in this situation that forgiveness is the, is the correct response to what people are doing? So once again, let me clear here. There are two kinds of forgiveness that the Bible speaks of. There is judicial forgiveness. Judicial forgiveness is the forgiveness that the, even the secular world is going to be familiar with. If you break the law and you are arrested, and you are tried and convicted, we're going to sentence you or fine you or whatever we do, and you, we even use this term, you pay your debt to society. And in theory, once you've paid your debt and you get out, then you're forgiven as those things go. That may not be the actual case, but that's how it's supposed to go. We are supposed to forget that you have committed the crimes that you have paid your debt you cannot be tried for them again. That is established law. You can't be tried again for the same crime twice. And if you paid the penalty, then you have paid your debt to society and we can move on. This is judicial forgiveness. God explains this. God uses judicial forgiveness. We also use judicial forgiveness. Judicial forgiveness is the moment that you refuse to insist that people pay for the wrongs that they have done. When judicial forgiveness comes into play, what we do is we insist that you pay. Um, For instance, someone breaks into your house and, and steals something. Okay, you catch them. You have a camera. They didn't know you had a camera. There it is, plain as day. It's on the camera, and, and you have caught them. And uh, so you call the police, and, but you know, the person is enormously repentant. They give you back whatever they stole. They, they beg for mercy, and you know what? You, okay, okay, you, you don't press charges. No, that's fine. I, I'm not going to press charges. That is judicial forgiveness. If someone... If someone does something to you, or, or you lend somebody $50, you're like, you know, I, they're never going to pay it back. You know what? I just forgive them. I just forgive the debt. I just, I just let it go. We can do that, 
But the fact is that if someone owes you $50 and they don't pay it, or if someone has taken your stuff, uh, even, even, even if they don't give it back, and you're like, it's fine, I don't really, I don't want to destroy their life, that doesn't, before God, make them innocent. If you've stolen before God, even though the person you stole from may say, no, it's fine, I'm not, let's let it go. They're still a thief before God. They're still going to answer to God for what they have done. There is a different kind of forgiveness, and this is relational or maybe family kind of forgiveness. This kind of forgiveness, this is, this is not the forgiveness, the once and all forgiveness that God gives us. When you believe the gospel, when you repent... When you say, I am a sinner to the core of my being, I don't know who I'm trying to kid. I, you try to peel back the layers, but if you actually take all my sin away, you know, there's nothing left. I'm, I am a sinner to the core of who I am. And so I come to God and I say, can you forgive even me? And God says, yes. That's exactly the person I'm looking for. You've come. You have confessed that you are a sinner. Jesus died for that exact person. Jesus paid the penalty for us. And so we come to God and we confess, and God Forgives. That is judicial forgiveness. God removes all of our sin. But there is a relationship that we have with God. And in our relationship with God, there is a continual daily cleansing. We need to, because we're not perfect, we're going to continue to fall short. And so we come to God to get continuously cleansed. This is a relational kind of forgiveness. So when, remember the guy who is, who is lame and, and Jesus is in the house and his friends can't get him to Jesus, so they dig a hole in the top of the house and they lower him down. And Jesus looks at him and says, your faith has made you whole, you know, your sins are forgiven. And remember the Pharisees sit around and go, who does this guy think he is? Only God can forgive sins. Only God can bring about this ultimate judicial kind of forgiveness. And Jesus says, why do you reason in your hearts? As to whether or not I, I can forgive sins. Tell me, is it easier to say your sins are forgiven or to take up your bed and walk? And of course, the obvious answer is that it's much easier to say your sins are forgiven. I mean, who knows? I mean, maybe they are, maybe they aren't. But you know, to get a lame guy to take up his bed and walk, well, that's going to show the power of God. So it is easier to say your sins are forgiven, but so that you may know the Son of Man has power to forgive sins on earth, I say to you, take up your bed and walk, and so he does. Now, is this forgiveness given to everyone? The obvious answer is no. If God just gave this forgiveness to everyone, well, that's universalism. Everyone's going to heaven. It doesn't matter who you are or what you've done. God just forgives everybody. Okay, that is not, that is clearly not the biblical case. John the Baptist, he's down there baptizing people. He's preached, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And here come the scribes and Pharisees. None of them, by the way, are coming down to get baptized. They're all just standing there looking at him. So John says to them, when he saw many of the Pharisees and Sadducees coming down to his baptism, he said to them, you brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the wrath to come? Doesn't sound like a particularly forgiving statement, right? Uh, Jesus, in Matthew 12, verse 34, Jesus says to the exact same group of people, you brood of vipers, how can you, being evil, speak what is good? For the mouth speaks out of that which fills the hearts. And your hearts are full of evil. He goes on in Matthew 23. And if you want to really read Matthew 23, you'll get a great picture on Jesus' relationship with these folks. You serpents, you brood of vipers, how will you escape the sentence of hell? How are you going to do that? 
This is not exactly forgiving everyone in sight, right? Because this is judicial forgiveness. God does not grant that to everyone. He grants that to those who repent. He grants that to those who come to him and confess that they are sinners and that they need the forgiveness that only God can give in the ultimate sense. So, does this apply to us? Are there people that we don't forgive? See, this is where you get these questions, right? Now, you're sitting there waiting for me to answer this question, right? You're like, wait a minute. Now, wait. How are you going to answer this? All right, well, let me read you the words of Jesus. Seems to me the best place to go, right? Matthew 10, 16, what does Jesus say? Behold, I send you out as sheep in the midst of wolves. So be shrewd as serpents and innocent as doves. The fact of the matter is that when you go out into the world, there are going to be people who are out to destroy you. Jesus will go on to say in the next verse, beware of men. They will hand you over to the courts and scourge you in the synagogues. You know, if they're going to arrest you and you have the ability, you should probably go someplace else. Paul went from city to city. If he got released from jail, he didn't sit there and wait for them to arrest him again. Uh, He tended to move on. Don't worry. They'll arrest him in the next city. Paul says this to Timothy, warning him in Timothy chapter 4 of verse, uh, the second Timothy. Alexander the coppersmith did me much harm. The Lord repay him according to his deeds. Be on guard against him yourself, for he vigorously opposed our teaching. Paul writes to the church of Philippi, beware of the dogs, beware of evil workers, beware of the circumcision. Beware of them. Why? Because there are people out there who wish to destroy you. Be aware of them. Be on guard. And you don't have to just stand there and watch them destroy you. When Jesus spoke to the scribes and Pharisees throughout the Gospels, just... If you need a really good example of it, just read Matthew 23. It's as plain as it can be. Jesus continuously drew a bright line. You have a problem with people being healed on the Sabbath? Well, every Sabbath he'd find someone who was ill and heal them. Why? Because he was the Lord of the Sabbath and they needed to know that. He needed people to stand on one side or the other. So if someone is out to destroy you, if someone is lying about you, someone is slandering you, someone is deliberately trying to destroy your reputation. Proverbs 22.1, a good name is to be more desirable than great wealth. It's actually a crime to slander people. The bar is pretty high. You, you need to prove intent. You need to prove that the person knew what they were saying was incorrect, and that they were just flat out lying for the specific purpose of destroying you. But the fact is, they are stealing from you. They are stealing your good name. They are stealing your reputation. If you make a living by having a good name, and they deliberately try to destroy your good name, they're trying to destroy your livelihood. They may destroy your family. 
Let me destroy all kinds of things. And if someone is acting this way towards you, you can seek legal redress, if that is what you need to do, but it's okay to defend yourself. It's okay to speak truth. It's okay to stand up and say, that is not correct. That is, that is not how that goes. The, the, that information is wrong. Jesus spends his entire ministry in confrontation with the scribes and Pharisees as they continue to accuse him uh, up to and including doing all of his works being empowered by the devil himself. We know how you do this. You're, you, you have a demon. Jesus always corrects the error. Now, they will, of course, crucify him for that. They will eventually conclude that the only course of action we have here is to shut this guy up. And when Jesus hangs on the cross, he will pray this prayer. Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Is that judicial forgiveness? Is, that, is God going to just wipe away all the sin of everyone who crucified Jesus? No. God is going to remove the specific offense of them having crucified him because the gospel is going to continue to be preached to these people. They are going to be able to hear it. The sign of the resurrection of Jesus, which is the sign of Jonah, back from the dead, is going to be given to them. And they're going to actually have another opportunity if they are so inclined to repent. Most of them won't, by the way. They will end up killing James, the brother of John, and they will arrest Peter, and they will set out to kill him as well. And it's not going to, it's not going to work as far as they're not going to repent. But they did have an opportunity. The punishment, if God punished them at that moment, brought judicial punishment against them, I mean, he didn't destroy the whole world. I mean, he wiped everybody out. Jesus prayed, Lord, don't, don't, at this moment, force them to suffer the consequences of all their actions because they're, they really don't know what they're doing. They are not aware that they are killing the very Son of God. So don't bring down on them the judgment that they unquestionably deserve. Don't make them suffer the consequences of their actions just yet. That is judicial forgiveness. This is the kind of forgiveness, by the way, that should absolutely characterize who we are. We should offer this everywhere to anyone and all the time. If people wrong us, and oh, by the way, they're going to wrong us. If people do things that offend us and they're going to do things that offend us, we need as much as lies within us to live peaceably with all people. What we don't do is we don't seek vengeance. Vengeance is mine. I will repay, says the Lord. Therefore, if your enemy hungers, feed him. If he thirsts, give him drink. Why? Because the hand of God is going to be upon him. It is not our job to make people pay for their sin. You want to watch your marriage go south in moments? Just develop this attitude. You can't treat me like this. I'll show you. Boy, you're going to do that to me. You just wait to see what I'm going to do back. Okay, that's the end of your marriage. I mean, you just let that happen for any time at all. And woohoo, is it going to get exciting? Um, we can't act like that. 
That is, we have to let it go. At the same time, it's not, this isn't a suicide pact, right? This isn't like, well, Jesus said, give to those who ask. So some stranger comes up and knocks on your door and says, man, that's a really nice car you got in the front yard. Can I have the keys? Sure, here you go. Take it, drive it. Yeah, I'm going to come back. It's fine. I mean, that's not what Jesus is talking about here, right? There are people who slander. There are people who lie. There are people who steal. There are, there are people who are evil, and they will do evil to us. Now, we need to offer to them forgiveness, and it's not our job to, to give them evil. We don't give evil for evil. But the whole idea behind Matthew 18 and the discussion about church discipline, just think for a moment about how church discipline works. Someone has committed an offense. And it's a, you know, it's a major offense. It's big enough that someone really feels compelled to go talk to them about it. And when you go talk to them about it, they tell you to just get lost. And that they're not sorry, and they don't have any, any regret or remorse. And in fact, whatever it was they did, they're perfectly happy to do it again. And um, who are you? You've got no business to talk to them. So, okay, so you take a couple more people with you, and you go back to them, and you're like, this really is an issue here. In fact, this thing is growing. Uh, we need to... And, and they tell the two or three, same thing. <laughs> they're not going to repent. No, they're... They are going to do what they're going to do and just tough luck for everybody else. The moment comes where you bring this to the church because this person is now no longer acting like a believer. Who knows what it is they've done? Who knows? It's, but it's, it's, it's got to be something really big, right? It's got to be something that is sufficient to be brought before the whole church. And they still don't repent. So what do you do? Well, you put them out of the church. You take their name off the roll. You, that doesn't mean they can't attend, but you say this person is no longer remembered in good standing. If, if anybody asks us, it's like, they may attend here, but they're not a member in good standing anymore. These, these actions that they're taking are, do not characterize us. That is not who we are. Now, does this mean we don't forgive them? Well, we offered them forgiveness. We would be more than happy to forgive them if they, would, if they would simply repent. But even at that, they are now put in the category of the unbelievers. And how do we treat unbelievers? We're still kind to them. We're still gracious to them. We just decide, you know what? Whatever, they're, whatever it was they were doing, and apparently they're not going to repent from that, well, we're, we still love them like we love everybody. We're still kind to them. We're still gracious to them. Titus talks about the same thing. Reject a factious man after the first and second warning. It doesn't say, oh, mention it to him a couple of times, and if they say tough luck, then go, well, I guess we just have to forgive everybody, you know. So, like, I mean, if they just tear the church apart, well, at least we'll forgive one another, you know. And that's not what it says. If someone has come to the church and they have an agenda to destroy the place, we have an obligation as an assembly to help those folks find someplace else besides here. We need to protect the sheep from the wolves. And when the wolves show up, well, you need to protect the sheep. 
factious people, people who cannot wait to divide and to get people all excited and, and wound up over all kinds of things just, just to watch the division and just to stand back and revel in their ability to control the group. And uh, those folks need to be found and they need people who start holding meetings at their house and don't, oh, don't tell the pastor. But I've got, I've got you know, you've got to see this guy. I've, I've got this YouTube video of this guy. You should, you should watch this guy. I mean, listen to what this guy has to say. And, and uh, don't, don't tell the pastor that. Okay, the minute somebody says to you, don't tell the pastor, the first thing you do is walk out of there and call me. We need to take care of this. If anybody's over there doing something that they don't want me to know about, okay, you need to come talk to me. And we need to take care of that. Now, we're not unkind. We're not angry. We're not, we're not bitter. We're, but we deal with it. We take care of it. This needs to be dealt with. And the goal is to help these people see where they are and what they're doing and understand that it's destructive to the body of Christ. And if they are truly a Christian and they truly love the body of Christ, then they're going to want to repent and to come back. And full repentance is completely available to them. Repentance is the key. What does actual true repentance look like? Repentant people do not need to be coached on how to apologize. You ever, you ever, you ever get people? They're like, well, just tell me what to say and I'll say it. Okay. I'll tell you nothing. The very fact that you're looking at me like, I don't know. Okay, fine. Well, I have to say something? Fine. You tell me what to say and I'll say it. Okay, that person has not repented. This is a person who has no self-awareness, who has no guilt, who has not figured out exactly what it is they've done. If they're waiting for me to give them some list that they need to stand up somewhere and go, all right, I'm sorry for, you know, and they, and they, re, uh, they are not sorry at all. That's <laughs> a person who has no sorrow whatsoever. There's no repentance here. Repentant people, they stand up and start, start confessing stuff you had no idea they were doing. Why? Because they, they, they are consumed with their guilt and their shame, and they understand that what we have done is wrong, and we will do anything to make it right. What can I do to make it right? I, I, I oh, boy, I've looked in the mirror, and my goodness, uh, here I am, and this is what I've done, and, and you guys don't even realize. I mean, I, you didn't know it, but I, you, know that, you know that thing over there? That was, yeah, that was me. I, I, okay, those are repentant people. Those people we forgive we give all the forgiveness we possibly can. Now, people won't repent. Well, people won't repent. We're kind to them. We extend grace to them. But you know, if, you're, if you've embezzled, okay, you, we put you in charge of the church's finances and kind of find out you stole a bunch of it. And, and we, we find out and we confront you and you, and you totally apologize. You're like, I, I uh, yeah, you know. Okay, you can be as repentant as you want. You know, we're not going to put you back in charge of the church's finances. It's not that we didn't forgive you. We forgive you, but you know, there's some other ministry we can find for you. The, the temptation, obviously, is too great to put you in that position. It's a bad position. It's not that we're not forgiving. Think about your relationship with God. Who does God forgive? The repentant. 
If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive our sins. If you won't confess your sins, God sends the rain on the just and the unjust. God makes the sun shine on the evil and on the good. God loves sinners. God sent Jesus to die. And the death of Jesus is sufficient to cover the sin of every man and woman and child who has ever sinned, ever. Jesus gave so that anyone who believes may come. The forgiveness of God is completely available. But not holding you, not not demanding that you pay the penalty for your sin is different than relational. If someone has slandered you, someone has set out to gossip about you, multiple people have come back to you and said, hey, you may not be aware of this, but you really need to keep an eye on so-and-so. I mean, I talked to them the other day, and the list of stuff they had to say about you, I got to tell you. You, uh, okay. So, and you get this from multiple people, and everything they're saying is a lie. So you go and you talk to them. You're like, I understand you have a problem. Oh, I don't have a problem with you. Oh, no, no, everything's fine between us. I don't, you know, it's, it's all good. You know what? You don't have to invite that person to, your, to, to supper at your house just to show what a great guy you are. Okay? This is a person who is trying to destroy you. Now, you don't have to go after them. You, you don't have to demand that they, if you, if you keep this up, you just wait and see what I'll do to you. Okay, that... Vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. Now, if they're destroying the church, then this is a time for church discipline. You went, you talked to them, you bring more people with you and talk to them, and the moment may come where, for the good of the body, you help them just be removed from the body. Even that, the whole goal of that is always restoration. So we come to a passage like Mark eleven let Let's talk about this. We're talking about the difficult forgiveness, right? So here you are, Mark 25, uh, 11, 25. Whenever you stand praying, forgive. If you have anything against anyone, so that your Father who is in heaven will also forgive you your transgressions. So you're standing and you're praying, and while you're praying, suddenly someone comes to mind. You're mad at them. You're angry with them. You have something against them. They have acted in a way that has hurt or offended you. And now you're praying to God, and God is looking at you going, you know, I extended you forgiveness. You need to extend them forgiveness. What kind of forgiveness is being talked about here? This is judicial forgiveness. This is the forgiveness of, I am not going to extract from this person or even attempt to extract from this person some kind of payment for what they have done. I'm not going to go over to them and demand that they apologize to me. Do they owe you an apology? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Who knows what they've done? Who knows what what sin they've committed against you? But it's not your responsibility to go over there and demand that they confess their sin and ask for forgiveness. Not our job. We let that go. We stand before God and we say, okay, Lord, you know between us. You and I, we both know what the truth is. We know what they have done. And as I stand here praying to you and this person comes to mind and it's, you know, it's, this is affecting my prayer life. I'm so mad at this person. I'm so upset with who they are and what they've done. And I'm, I'm just, okay, you need to let that go. 
Jesus is looking at you like, hey, just let it go. God is going to deal with that person. God is going to take care of them. Now, there is another kind of forgiveness which is relational. This is the kind of forgiveness that happens in your family. This is the kind of forgiveness that happens in the church. This kind of forgiveness is in Luke 17, verse 3. Be on your guard. If your brother sins, rebuke him. And if he repents, forgive him. And if he sins against you seven times a day and returns to you seven times saying, I repent, you forgive him. This is relational forgiveness. This is repentance forgiveness. This is where you're friends with people. This is the relationship we should all have with everyone seated here. This is the kind of relationship where when people sin, if I have offended you, please come talk to me. I want you to come talk to me. I want our relationship. If, if, if I've said something that has caused some kind of a wall between you and I, please come talk to me so that we can straighten that out, so that we have a great relationship. Relational forgiveness is for relationships. This is 1 John 1, 9. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins. This is the forgiveness at the Last Supper when Jesus went to wash the feet of all the disciples and he gets to Peter and Peter's like, you're not washing my feet. And Jesus is like, look, if I don't wash your feet, clearly implying, if I don't don't wash off the daily sin here, then you have no power with me. And Peter's like, well, in that case, just wash me from head to toe. And Jesus is like, that's not necessary. But it is necessary to wash our feet. There is the daily relational. We have a relationship with God. We need to keep clear communication lines with God. If we've sinned, come to God and just tell him. Don't hide it. Just God God doesn't know. Of course God knows. And so our relationship with God is restored. We need to have a clear and good relationship with each other. But the fact is, that there are all kinds of people out there in this world, just in case you hadn't noticed. There's lots of folks out there who are going to offend you. It's going to happen. And those folks, you are not going to get satisfaction from them. They're not going to come to you. They're not going to repent. They're not, they may not even say they're sorry. And those folks need to be left with God, and we need to stop insisting, even let God do something about it. What are you going to rain down judgment on those folks? Okay, we need to stop doing that. We need to stop sitting around and just being consumed by it. Whether they ever get around to paying for what they've done to us is between them and God, not us. This is the kind of forgiveness that we must continuously offer. We're going to work and, and live, and there's nice folks and angry folks and conniving folks and dishonest folks, and they're just all out there as indifferent folks. They're, they're just people out there. They scheme. They're selfish, and, and we're going to have to live with all of them. The world is full of all of those kinds of people. Some of them, we're, or some of them we might end up married to. Some of them we, might be our own children. Some of them may be our neighbors or our coworkers or our boss or our employees. They may be our doctors or our lawyers or our police or our teachers. And Okay, how, what? Are we going to insist that all of these people 
pay for what they've done to us? Of course not. They're going to pay for what they've done to God when the moment comes. But we need to release them from the consequences of their actions. That's what sin, that's what forgiveness is, that we offer them. This is the kind of forgiveness we offer them. It's like, they're never going to repent anyway. So when we go through life, we have a choice. We can either just keep a list, you know, keep a record. There are, if you do much marital counseling, it's quite possible you may run across a couple, you know. They've been married 10, 15 years, maybe 20. Hard to last 20 years at this rate, but maybe. They come in, and, um, you know, so what seems to be the problem? The guy is like, I don't know. The woman, she reaches down into this bag she's got, and boom, she drops this thing on, you know, it's just, just got to weigh five pounds, you know. And she's like, this is 10 years worth of what he's done to me. You want to know what's wrong with this marriage? You give me a date. I'll flip right to it and show you what this guy has done. What's particularly distressing is that the person sitting there with that notebook is convinced that this is, exonerates them. They're not ashamed of this. They're not, there's, there's no sense of, you know, maybe I should work on being more forgiving. Oh, no, no. I'll tell you what's wrong with this marriage. I, I can tell you right down to the day, you know, it's, and it's not me. Okay, that, uh, we need to not be that person. But the fact is, though that is, by God's grace, an extreme case, we can still have a list. Do you find yourself saying things like, I can't believe this is happening to me. This always happens to me. Uh, why, when I was, and, then, and then off goes the list. And who knows? You may, I don't know. You may start in kindergarten. You know, it's hard to say how far back you go. But you've got this big, long list of all these things that have gone wrong in your life. Okay. All those people, they're never going to come back and apologize. right? They're never going to come back and say they're sorry. Let it go. Write it off. If you need to. Go ahead, get a notebook, sit down and write it all out, and then light it on fire. God, that's it, I'm done with that. I'm going to give that all to God. They're not going to come back and make it right. They're never going to. So what are we going to do? Let it destroy us? Are we going to walk around seething with anger and bitterness, frustration, until we're filled with just, it's just destroyed us? We are just continuously mad and angry. and I mean, It's just right at the surface. The, the minute one more thing goes wrong, we just erupt. We're just filled with it. Like, who in the world wants to be that person? So we offer forgiveness. And it's judicial forgiveness. We offer it like, okay, that person, is, they're never going to, whatever. Whatever it is, they're not going to pay it. They're not, they're not going to come say they were sorry. They're not going to apologize. Um, you, know, you may have to do this in your family. It may be. Maybe one of your parents, maybe your, maybe your dad had a, an alcohol problem. Maybe your dad consumed alcohol to the point of drunkenness on a regular basis and, and, and was just, who knows what in the world, crazy things they said and did and acted. And, and I mean, your life was just a nightmare growing up as a kid. 
And you watched as you got old enough and finally figured it out that your mother, her, her life is a nightmare too. And now you're an adult and now you're old enough and, and, and maybe, maybe your dad has kind of gotten a handle on his alcohol problem and, and, and so you go and you talk to him. Well, I guess if I acted like that, I, you know, I'm, I, 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 I mean, I guess I'm sorry. Don't leap across the table and grab them, right? I, get prepared for that. If people didn't think that they were wrong 20 years ago, they're not going to think they're wrong now. You just have to let it go. Or if you think somehow you're going to go back and get a hold of them and straighten this out. Eh, probably not. Probably not. Just let it go. Just forgive them. Paid in full by the blood of Christ. Whether they repent or they don't repent, whether they say they're sorry or don't say they're sorry. I mean, if we withhold judicial forgiveness, right? If we're if we're sitting around waiting for them to get what they deserve, we are gonna have a miserable, frustrated life. That's not on us. That's on God. We need to let that go. Now, in relationships, if you're going to have relationships with people, if you're going to have close friends, if you're going to have people in the community of the church, in the community of faith, if we're going to have people that are going to be close to us, well, yeah, those folks, if they sin against us, we can go and talk to them, and we are going to want them to acknowledge their guilt and to ask for forgiveness. Admit that they were wrong, not make excuses. If someone comes to you, don't make excuses, okay? Just, ooh, okay, I did that. Yeah, I did that. Yeah, that was not very kind of me, was it? That was pretty unloving of me. I was not really fulfilling my responsibility as a godly husband, father, brother, son, whatever the relationship is. Um, Admit that and ask forgiveness. It goes a super long way to admit we're wrong. It makes it so much easier for the person who's trying to forgive us. And even if the person isn't trying to forgive us, even if they're just trying to, maybe they're just trying to come after us and really make us pay. Uh, admission of guilt and humble, genuine, humble. We're not, don't put on an act here. We're genuinely sorrowful and, and admitting that we were wrong. That goes a huge long way to helping restore relationships. This is how we should interact with one another. But there is a distinction. You do not need to invite the guy who broke into your house and stole your stuff over for supper just so we can case the joint one more time, right? That's not, we don't need to do that. But in your marriage... You better be ready to say, I was wrong. If you've never said you were wrong in your marriage, you know, boy, is it time to. Because I assure you, you've been wrong. And it's time to just have that kind of transparency. We'll do wonders for your marriage. We'll do wonders for all kinds of relationships. And so we need to do this. So hopefully, no idea whether it does or not, we're not... Hopefully this has answered the questions, because it is hard to know 
about forgiveness? Should we forgive people who do horrific things? Um, well, we don't walk around angry at them, and we leave the consequences. The, the, they will reap what they have sown, and we leave it in the hand of God. And as opportunity arises to us, we can be kind to them. We can be gracious to them. We, if they're hungry, we can feed them. If they're thirsty, we can give them drink. Jesus was kind to everyone. He drew a line with the Pharisees, but yeah, you know, he's like, I, I didn't come here to bring a sword. I came here to redeem people, and which is what he eventually does. But he does help them see where they have a problem. But what he offers them is forgiveness. We, too, should offer forgiveness. And the consequences of their actions, though we may even have opportunity, it may even come about that you have opportunity to really stick it to them. Don't do that. Don't never repay evil for evil. Don't do that. Leave it in the hands of God. Don't worry. He knows much better than we do what they really deserve. So let him do it. Let's pray. Lord, we are thankful for your forgiveness of us. We are thankful for your willingness to take all of our sin. And through the death of your son, Jesus was willing to die, knowing exactly who we were to the core of our being. Oh, what a great Savior. Thank you, Lord. And may that be the cry of all of our hearts. And may the love that you have shown us just flow out of us, even even people who hate us, even people who want to ruin our lives, who just want to be angry and maybe love even them. May we pray for their repentance. May we pray that your spirit would soften them and may we turn even our enemies into brothers and sisters in Christ. Give us that heart, give us that spirit, give us those eyes of love that you have. And give us the wisdom, Lord, to discern so that we are not taken advantage of. We're we're sheep among the wolves, but try not to be eaten. Help us, Lord, to know how to navigate that. Give us the wisdom and discernment we need to serve you well. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.